0: Hello everyone and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben.
1: And I'm Sarah.
0: Thank you for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Sarah?
1: I am doing all right. Uh, For my birthday, my mom got me some new headphones that uh, were very well needed, and everything sounds amazing in them. (laughs) Uh, You sound like James Earl Jones. Oh, (laughs) oh no. Also, for my birthday, uh, a good friend of mine took me to see a play called Nevermore The Imaginary Life and Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, it was playing and Calgary, and my brain kept thinking about it. So I wrote a review, and that is now up on our Patreon.
0: So if you want to see that review, you have to go to patreon.com slash Podcast and sign up as a $10 patron of the night?
1: Yeah, but, uh, you know, you can still see, like, the photo of me posing with the cutout of the guy who plays Poe. Okay. Uh, you can find that on our Twitter. Uh, <laughs> How are you, Ben?
0: I'm doing pretty good, Sarah. As of this recording, we just saw Across the Spider-Verse yesterday, so I'm having to like readjust my expectations for tonight's movie, uh, because that movie is very good.
1: Yes, it does a very good job of building upon the legacy of Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about tonight, Ben. No. Tonight we're talking about castles and werewolves.
0: Yes, Uh, tonight we're talking about a movie that builds on the legacy of the universal classic monster movies, Mm. uh, and also the long, proud tradition of horror comedies. Uh, Tonight's movie is a horror comedy that, I guess from what I've read, works kind of like those plates you had when you were a toddler, like the horror (laughs) and the comedy are kept very separate.
1: Oh, I see. You mean like the divided plates.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, because I guess once the horror starts up, like, it's not very funny. It's just kind of gruesome. That's what I've heard about this movie anyway. Who knows if that's accurate? That's the word on the street.
1: <laughs> well, that's very interesting that they'll be kept fairly separate because um, that will make it easier to determine if slash how it ranks. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit more about it?
0: Sure. Tonight's movie comes to us from Mario Gilberto Augustin Martinez Solaris. That's the name of the director who also wrote the story for tonight's film. Okay. And Gilberto Martinez Solaris was born in Mexico City in 1906. He is one of the most prolific Mexican film directors of all time, writing and directing over 160 movies over the course of his career. Wow. He has been also called the most important comedy director in Mexico. Interesting. Okay. In his youth growing up, he met... A lot of future film industry colleagues at school, uh, both future writers and directors, and became friends with them, but his studies were initially in the field of law. However, his quest to become a lawyer was interrupted when a heart problem forced him to go to LA for treatment, and when he returned in 1929, he switched paths completely and opened a photography studio.
1: Hmm. Nothing like a, a heart condition to make you go... Law and courts give me anxiety. Let's do something a little bit more chill, like photography.
0: So while he wasn't very good at first, he quickly rose up to become like an in-demand photographer, expanding his business to open studios in Hollywood and in Paris, where he lived after getting married in 1931. Upon hearing about the production of Santa, the first sound Mexican feature film, he returned to Mexico determined to break into the movie business. He initially got his start as a cinematographer, but soon found himself directing and often writing his own films, which spanned many genres but always contained a strong streak of comedy. In 1941, he directed Tender Pumpkins, which was his first time working with comedian Tin Tan, uh, with whom he would continue to work throughout his career, including on this film. Gilberto Martinez Solaris continued directing until he passed away in Mexico City in 1997 at age 90.
1: Wow. So who's who's Tintan?
0: Well, Tintan was born Herman Herrero Cipriano Gomez Valdez y Castillo in nineteen fifteen in Mexico City. Uh, but he grew up in Juarez City, which is on the border south of El Paso, Texas, working as a janitor for a radio station. Okay, listen, I need to stress this is a true story. So while working as a janitor at a radio station, he like started fooling around, um, in the booth, like imitating the radio announcers for fun, like after work one day, but he was unaware and indeed, I would have to assume everyone was unaware that the mics had been left on.
1: Yeah. That is my worst nightmare.
0: (laughs) Uh, the audience loved his antics. And he soon found himself made into a radio announcer himself.
1: That's amazing.
0: Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, He created a comic persona called Topio, which means the trickster. Uh, But he was told that that was a name that was too vulgar for a comedian. And so it was changed to Tintan. Okay. As a comedian, Tintan popularized the zoot suit wearing jazz listening subculture of Pachuco. Uh, which was a subculture of young Chicano men that was associated with like rebellion against American assimilation on the border. Uh, It was also associated with like flamboyant outfits, smoking weed and speaking in Kahlo, which was a kind of like jive influenced Spanglish.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Tintan's popularity led to him appearing in films beginning in the mid-40s, with his popularity peaking in the late 40s, early 50s, though his career continued until the early 70s when he passed away in 1973 of hepatitis. Perhaps befitting a horror comedy, um, Martinez Solaris's story idea for this picture was fleshed out into a screenplay by veterans of both genres. Juan Garcia was an actor, but also Tintan's like standard writer, beginning with Tender Pumpkins, while talented and acclaimed director Fernando de Fuentes, Mm. who wrote La Llorona and wrote and directed El Fantasma del Convento, also worked on the screenplay for this film.
1: Yeah, uh, that guy's really good.
0: Yes, he did pass away before the film was shot, unfortunately. Oh, no. Okay,
1: that's too bad.
0: Now, this movie largely came about because the filmmakers were a team that, you know, frequently worked with Tintan and then also were able to get access to Lon Chaney Jr. to come down to Mexico to shoot the movie. And they were able to do that because Chaney's alcoholism had had a rough effect on his personal life and career at this point.
1: When was the last time that we've seen Chaney?
0: Uh, he hasn't appeared in a movie since we saw him last in The Alligator People.
1: Oh, no. Uh,
0: However, he has hosted a TV show in the intervening time, a show that only lasted 13 episodes, a horror anthology TV show created by Kurt Seadmack called 13 Demon Street. Okay. The somewhat confused premise of the show is that the audience is invited to 13 Demon Street, where Lon Chaney... Jr. lives and he is going to tell the audience stories of shocking crimes uh, in order to try and make his own crime not seem as bad. See, he's a condemned man okay. and he's committed some sort of crime. And he wants you to know that like he's not as bad as these other horrific crimes. But you never find out what his crime is, so you never can really judge it. And also, if he's a condemned man, why is he living at home at 13 Demon Street? It's all a little confused.
1: Maybe it's like a metaphorical condemned.
0: I don't know, but um, <laughs> yeah, the show only lasted 13 episodes.
1: Was I mean, was it supposed to only last 13 episodes? I mean, it,
0: it, no, it was the 50s. Shows weren't supposed to last short amounts of time. <laughs> they were supposed to go on forever. Chaney hated the experience of making this movie because he was once again asked to appear under heavy makeup as both a mummy and a werewolf, uh, but he needed the money. There was just no way around that. Hmm. The music for La Casa del Terror was composed by Luis Dimitrio, who is best known as the composer of Quien Será, which was brought to English-speaking listeners with entirely different lyrics as Sway. When
1: marimba rhythms start to play, dance with me, make me sway. Oh, I know the song from Dean Martin.
0: Yes, it's one of his biggest hits. Yeah. Uh, The original lyrics are about, like, a guy wondering if he'll ever fall in love again. Like, they're very melancholy. They're completely different to the English lyrics. That's funny. So, uh, this movie was released on March 24th, 1960, in Mexico. It would not see release in the United States until 1965, when it was released under the title Face of the Screaming Werewolf uh, by Jerry Warren. Uh, You might remember Jerry Warren as the notorious low-budget director who created Man Beast. Ah. Um, In the 1960s, he sort of switched from making his own movies to re-editing foreign films, taking all the foreign out of them, shooting some English-speaking scenes in like a day in his garage and then re-releasing the movie. Um, So he re-edited 1957's La Momia Azteca into 1963's Attack of the Mayan Mummy. Then he took the footage from Attack of the Mayan Mummy and spliced it in with the footage from La Casa del Terror, uh, removing as much of the dialogue scenes as possible and then shooting some new footage uh, to like link everything together in order to make face of the screaming werewolf. The end result is generally regarded to be a mess that doesn't make much sense.
1: This is my shocked face, the shocked face of the werewolf.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Well, Ben, how are we watching this?
0: Well, we've got this one on our YouTube playlist with English subtitles.
1: Fantastic. Well, folks, if you want to watch along, you can find our YouTube playlist on our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss La Casa del Terror from 1960, directed by Gilberto Martinez-Solares.
0: See you on the other side, everybody.
1: Welcome back to Scream Scene, everybody. We just finished watching La Casa del Terror from 1960, directed by Gilberto Martinez Solares. Ben, what did you think of this movie? It's bad. It's bad. And yeah. it's not even a uh, a fun bad. No. It's, uh,
0: yeah. Let's get through the plot summary fairly quickly, and then we can talk about why this doesn't work.
1: Oh, sure. Okay. The film opens on some grave robbing happening in broad daylight. Uh, This body is taken to the nearby Wax Museum, which is run by Professor Sebastian. We see that it is his two henchmen who have brought the body to him. Now, working for Sebastian is his night watchman, Casimiro, uh, who keeps falling asleep on the job. Not because he's lazy... Uh, But because he keeps having pints of blood taken from him in a gigantic comedic needle. You see, the professor is theorizing that he can use electricity and Casimir's blood, not specifically Casimir, but you know, blood blood in general, uh, to reanimate the dead. And he's not having any success. (laughs) Police are now on the lookout for the body snatchers, but luckily the professor learns about this uh, mummy that's going to be on display. So he and his two henchmen head over to see, you know, the display being unveiled. And um, there's a archaeologist or whoever saying like, this mummy, according to legend, based on what's on his sarcophagus, was a guy who murdered a ton of people and also supposedly during the full moon turned into a werewolf. Uh, And just as they finished telling the legend... The henchmen spring into action and steal the mummy. The professor does the same sort of thing of, like, electricity and pumping blood into this mummy, but he also has, like, this newfangled foggy machine that basically, like, remoisturizes the mummy. And he's, like, surprised how, like, he just keeps failing to reanimate this mummy. And his henchmen are like, hey, boss, forget about it. We've been working for four hours straight. Let's go get some coffee, and we'll we'll come back and go at this again. So they leave. Uh, Casimiro is on watch, um, but he's asleep. And the like world's worst lightning storm, thunderstorm, hits. And thanks to that lightning, uh, it manages to reawaken the mummy. Just as fast as that thunderstorm came in, it clears to show a bright full moon for our poor mummified Larry Talbot. Uh, sorry, legally distinct Larry Talbot to see the moon and turn into a legally distinct werewolf who, who looks exactly like the universal one. And mm-hmm. there are subtle differences uh there's, that look better <laughs>
0: there's subtle differences in like a we updated the makeup kind of way not in like a this is a different monster kind of way
1: absolutely no he has like really neat eyebrows and really neat ears like
0: it's it's different in the way that like the frankenstein monster has different makeup in son of frankenstein than in frankenstein you know what i mean
1: yeah now when the professor and his two henchmen return Um, The werewolf immediately goes and kills one of them. And just as he is attacking the professor, he suffers a heart attack because he only has one pint of blood in him. (laughs) The professor is like, ah, okay, well, to control this monster, I will put my henchman's brain into the werewolf and I'll do a brain swap. Meanwhile, Casimiro does see the werewolf around no one seems to believe him including paquita who um for all intents and purposes i'm going to say is his girlfriend just to explain why she's around but she's no one's girlfriend and she's everyone's crush uh, exactly yes um seemingly the only available woman in this town right now they do the brain swap it seems to be successful um except in the way that it would, you know, allow the professor to control the monster, because the other henchman is immediately killed. The professor manages to get the monster into a jail cell um, by using a flashlight.
0: An atomic controller, Sarah.
1: Oh, I thought it was just a flashlight. My bad. But over the night, he turns back into a werewolf and escapes. He goes hunting around town, eventually stalking and kidnapping Paquita.
0: Because she was the henchman whose brain he has is crush.
1: That works. That's as good of shading as, you know, more than what this movie does.
0: I thought that was pretty much what they were going for.
1: But they don't say it. No. Because nothing else. Because
0: in- the wolfman has no lines.
1: The wolfman has no lines, but they also don't show any other signs that the henchman's brain successfully went with the werewolf right sure because there's no like recognition of like oh you're the professor you're the other henchman like True. As, for all intents and purposes it could have just been the regular werewolf brain
0: yeah but we know that he's got the henchman's brain because there's a big old scar on his forehead when he's human
1: yeah anyways casimiro knows bakita is uh kidnapped and he chases. werewolf around town to stop him and they make it back to the lab where the professor is immediately attacked and killed in this like big battle um which ends up starting the lab on fire casimiro gets a turn to fight with the werewolf and doesn't so much win as tires out the werewolf so he has another heart attack uh and then he like lands in fire and catches on fire but that does mean that casimiro manages to rescue paquita um, and that's the end. Mm-hmm. Now you might notice that uh the summary I gave is on, you know, the horror parts and I don't really mention the Night Watchman very much, despite him being the main character. Yes. Tintan. That's because that's where the comedy is and it has no relation really to the horror. It's it's a big delineation.
0: Yeah, like I ended up, you know, the thing I read about this movie ended up being true, that the horror and the comedy sides stay apart. The problem is, for me anyways, the horror side is very predictable. Yes. Like, we've seen this movie 10 billion times. And the comedy side isn't funny. And the two sides never meeting really other than like the few times where Casimiro like almost sees the wolf man and gets scared. Or then at the end when he turns hero, that means that the movie never really attains like the fun level of something like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. You know what I mean?
1: Or even a horror movie you can laugh at. Right. Yeah. You're totally right that this is like a bunch of different movies we've seen before. They're just throwing everything in here we've got a wax museum a mad scientist looking for world domination a mummy a werewolf murder
0: brain swapping
1: brain swapping alchemical sets
0: women in danger yeah yeah and at one point the werewolf even grabs piquita and climbs up a building like king kong for no reason because he then takes immediately the stairs down. down yeah it's
1: it's so frustrating to watch at times with the amount of narrative and action sequence cul-de-sacs.
0: Yeah, for sure. The horror parts aren't necessarily bad. They aren't they're like... Just boring. They're just boring. Yeah, they're just boring because are, there's nothing special. Like They're just things we've seen a million times.
1: It's almost like a, an attempt at like the best hits of Universal sure. stuff. Yeah. Or at least classic Hollywood
0: horror. What if Caris was Larry Talbot? is kind of how to sum up Lon Chaney's character. Chaney gets basically one line in the movie. He goes, no. And yet he's still doing the angst on this unofficial Larry Talbot.
1: <sighs> Such sad vibes.
0: I He hated doing this movie, but I have to admit it was kind of nostalgic to see the Wolfman again. And in a movie where he got to like have blood on his victims when he mauled them.
1: Yes. This movie is fairly bloody.
0: Mm -hmm. The horror stuff. Yeah. Is really just like, we've seen it a million times.
1: Yeah. Which I mean, to be fair, like we've seen that a million times out of American films. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the earlier Mexican movies we watched, uh, La Momia Azteca, was like, how do we bring in universal stuff into Mexican film mm-hmm. um, in particular? And I feel like this is yet another like attempt at doing that Absolutely. pretty explicitly. So I bring this up to be like, they're not trying to do anything new.
0: Yeah, that's right. The problem is that like, so <sighs> Tintan plays Casimiro. He's the main character and he's also the source of the comedy. And he's just not funny. No, um, until his third act turn, where he suddenly becomes a hero and goes to rescue paquita, he's also just like a shitty guy, so Casimiro's like whole deal is that he's uh always hungry, always lazy, always horny, but like it's he's not funny, the jokes aren't good, basically, like he has two jobs he's the night watchman for. The evil professor and he's also a janitor at a doctor's office that is so unimportant to the plot that sarah didn't even mention it correct um except i
1: i will say that doctor's name is dr salazar which i was like salazar isn't that like from the vampire movies because abel salazar played those vampire movies yeah
0: yeah and produced all of them yeah yeah so i
1: wonder if that's kind of a
0: reference maybe salazar is also like not an uncommon name oh but like The other thing that's weird about the doctor's office stuff is, so the doctor is also a comedy character. Like he's supposed to be like totally batshit, basically. It's like mad scientist and then like cuckoo doctor. And there's a bunch of scenes in the doctor's office with the cuckoo doctor. And then also like there's a whole scene where Casimiro sort of gets roped into pretending he's the doctor at one point um, that all came across as like as if they were pre-existing skits mm-hmm. um, that, like Casimiro and this other comedian, maybe had done before on like TV or radio or something that were kind of being worked into the movie. But yeah, so Casimiro has these two jobs. He doesn't do either of them. He sleeps on the job for both of them. When awoken from sleeping on the job, the only thing he wants is food. He doesn't pay for any of that food because he needs to save his money to take Paquita on dates that she doesn't want to go on because she's not interested in him. So this is a guy who like doesn't work, doesn't pay his bills, and just like scams. He scams Paquita into doing his job for him like most of the time or just doesn't do it. Like I can understand a lot of these um, traits are traits that you see in a lot of like Ostensibly likable 1950s male protagonists, but I feel like Tintan just is missing something that makes that character likable. And I don't know if it's just like this movie's too poorly written, the pacing is bad, or that like the guy himself is just past his prime or something. That's true, because you
1: said that his like peak popularity was like more in the 50s, late
0: 40s, early 50s. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because this, there's no charm.
0: That's right. And so like he's just not likable and so none of the jokes really work. Part of it might also just be that here in twenty twenty three this shtick of like yeah, the using sense of humor this is completely woman, gone. like yeah, it's just not funny anymore. Yeah. Um so all of the humor stuff really just falls flat. All of the horror stuff is really predictable and they don't integrate well. is only redeeming factor is that after a whole movie being the laziest son of a bitch there ever was when Piquita gets threatened by the werewolf, he does like go after her. And it's not just because like she happens to have a sandwich with her or something like, so the fact that, you know, he is willing to climb up all the way up and all the way down a building for her, like, I can understand why Uh, she falls for him.
1: To be fair, he doesn't climb down the building. He
0: falls down the building. That's true. But like, I can understand why Piquita falls for him at the end, because if I knew someone as lazy as that, who then like did all of that to save me from a werewolf, like I'd be pretty impressed. I'd be like, Oh damn. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, um, I didn't really enjoy this. My only joy in this was kind of in seeing the wolf man again.
1: Yes. With the asterisk of, Seeing the Wolfman get to do, like, bloody attacks, like you kind of said before. But poor Lon Chaney, like, running around at night felt sad. There were a couple times where he did, like, the old man's shuffle.
0: Yeah, he can't really, like, run around very well anymore.
1: He doesn't have the athleticism, which makes sense. Like, not only has it been, like, what, 15 years, 20 years?
0: He's been playing the Wolfman for 20 years at this point.
1: Yeah, like even if he didn't have all of his health issues and addiction issues it would still be a completely different performance just cuz it's been 20 years since he first started playing the character
0: Oh for sure for sure yeah it's it's really sad like i said he only gets one line of dialogue the mummy stuff looks bad because mostly because like they've just kind of like slathered him in clay yeah. and bandages and the problem is that like this is a heavy set jowly blonde chaney and
1: mummies are supposed to be like very very skinny and dehydrated yes so
0: it's it's sort of hard to believe a jowly mummy yeah i kind of was struggling through this movie to stay awake to be honest and maybe that's just because when your lead character spends most of the movie asleep
1: (laughs) i also had a hard time with this movie not so much like falling asleep but just like having the patience to get through it Mm -hmm. i kept wanting to ask you like how much is left
0: yeah no kidding
1: so i feel like we're ready to move on to ranking
0: yeah so what do you think on this movie genre wise
1: i think it is trying to be horror because it has thrown in just so much of all of these tropes. And when it's doing horror, it is doing horror.
0: Yeah. That's kind of the weird problem is that like the horror stuff isn't funny. The comedy stuff isn't funny either, but it's like this very clear delineation and they only meet up every once in a while. And it's not so much that like, there's too much comedy in this horror comedy to, for it to be horror. It's like, there's not enough comedy in this horror comedy for it to be comedy sure ultimately judged pound for pound like the horror stuff is better at being horror than the comedy stuff is at being comedy
1: yeah so i personally feel like we should rank this okay but it would definitely be going low
0: Mm -hmm. all right sarah so how low can you go
1: i first started looking at where the alligator people is at 157 as rough as Lon Chaney's role in that movie is he is much better in it Mm -hmm. than this one
0: he has lines of dialogue
1: so then looking down I was like oh hey mystery of the wax museum is here at 179 that's just a better movie oh yeah it's way better so then looking further down my eyes came to La Momia Azteca from 1957 it's at 206 and I felt like know this feels like the better area Mm. but i feel like momia azteca is better yes because it's more explicitly fully horror and um i really appreciated the way that it was trying to take the those universal horror movies into a mexican context so i made that my ceiling okay then looking down i didn't go far because at 209 is giant from the unknown which is not a good movie It had some interesting parts, because I think that's when Charlie Brown gets a gun. Yes. Um, (laughs) But my range is basically 206 to 209 as a result.
0: Okay. I was looking much lower than you. Interesting. I was basically going down the list trying to find where the movies stop having redeeming qualities. Okay. (laughs) You know, I was looking down by um, stuff like uh, The Mystery of the Pale Face. At 249, Curse of the Faceless Man, at 250, The Unearthly, Night of the Ghouls, and at 253 is Attack of the Giant Leeches. And I thought maybe this is better than Attack of the Giant Leeches. It's, I think, maybe definitely better than Mesa of Lost Women. So my ceiling was 253, and I thought this was definitely better than the monkey's paw. So my floor was 265.
1: Wow, so that's way further
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty low.
1: Well, looking between our ranges, there are things like in particular um, 228 Bride of the Gorilla, Mm -hmm. which also has a little bit of a Lon Chaney role in there. Um, I think Bride of the Gorilla is probably better than this movie. Do you think that
0: this movie is better than La Llorona at 237?
1: Uh, La Llorona had something to say.
0: Mm hmm. And so I,
1: I think La Llorona is better than La Casa del Terror. That So La Llorona does struggle with the like balance of horror and stuff, but that was more because it's 1933 and Mexico doesn't quite know what its version of horror looks like yet. Exactly. So I think, yes, La Llorona should go above La Casa del Terror.
0: And then if we're talking about like you know, late career kind of sad appearances by some of our favorite actors, I think I would rather watch Scared to Death again than this, uh, which is at 2.46.
1: It's true that Scared to Death didn't have me, like, tapping my foot for when it will end.
0: Scared to Death is bad, but it's a fun kind of bad, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying. And now we're kind of closer to your range. Mm-hmm. I will say that I think La Casa del Terror is better than Mesa of Lost Women.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, and I think there are redeeming factors about Attack of the Giant Leeches. Right now I am I don't think there are any similarly redeeming elements of La Casa del Terror. Yeah. So I think I think that's where it's gonna go.
0: Okie dokie. So entering the list at the new number two hundred and fifty-four is La Casa del Terror from 1960, directed by Gilberto Martinez Solaris.
1: If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to appeal this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr or reach out over email at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com.
0: Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed. You can help the show out by leaving us a rating or a review. You can tell a friend about the show and help our audience grow through word of mouth. Or if you really enjoy what we do, we would super appreciate you heading on over to patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast where you can help support us by becoming a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the five and ten dollar level get access to regular bonus content. And patrons of all levels are voting right now in our final horror adjacent bonus episode poll.
1: As of recording, Rebecca from nineteen forty is still in the lead. Uh, but if you would like us to watch one of the many other options on this list, uh, head to patreon.com and, you know, vote. Get your vote on. That's right. Uh, so Ben, what are we watching next week?
0: Next week, Sarah, we are doing an immense tone shift oh, good. Uh, to the UK, where we are going to be watching one of the most controversial UK horror films of its time. Uh, so controversial, in fact, that it basically ended the career of its extremely critically well-regarded producer-director. It's Peeping Tom by Michael Powell.
1: Okay. Interesting.
0: You haven't seen this one.
1: No, I've never heard of it, I think.
0: It is about a serial killer who...
1: Is named Tom.
0: Gets off on taking photographs of the dying look in the eyes of his victims.
1: Ah, haven't we seen something like that before? No. No, it was, um, uh, the thing I'm thinking of was someone was like, oh, the last... Thing that a person sees can be captured on on like a film mm. through this fancy process.
0: No, this is like some some serial killer psychosexual stuff.
1: Yeah, this is some CSI shit <laughs> in 1960. Yes. Okay, fascinating. Well, we will see you then, creatures of the night. Bye. Bye.